Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Double Down, a WNBA podcast. I'm Eric Nemchak. He's Stephen Trinkwald. And Stephen, today we're going to be talking about the Connecticut Sun, last year's runners-up in the WNBA. I'm excited to talk about this team. I think they maybe overachieved a little bit last year, and we will get to that. We will indeed. And in case uh, you didn't know, Stephen um, is a big Connecticut Sun fan. We talked about this before the show. He's, uh, he's a little concerned about maybe coming at it from a subjective perspective, but I have faith in him. Uh, so let's get started here. Uh, 2019 overview. I think pretty much everyone would agree that the Sun um, had a massively successful season. They finished 23-11, and 11, which is good for second in WNBA. Net rating, 3.5, which was third. Offensively, you know, I was a little surprised to see this. They ranked third in the league in offense, just over 100 points per 100 possessions. And defensively, they were solid as well, allowing 96.8 points per 100 possessions. The Sun finally got that elusive double bye after getting bounced in the first round to Phoenix in the previous two seasons. Um, And then they pretty much demolished the LA Sparks in the semifinals, three zip. And then in the finals, you know, it was a series up until the final quarter. You know, they took the Mystics, which were by all accounts a juggernaut team last season. You know, probably the best offense, one of the best offenses we've ever seen, and some historical individual performances as well. But the Sun really took it to them. Uh, it went a full five games. Really, the Sun, they were 10 minutes away from winning the championship. That could have gone either way. So, Stephen, what do you make of the Sun season? I mean, it's hard to categorize it as anything other than a massive success. You know, they started out right before the season having to trade away Chanae Agumake for, you know, a late first, really hampered their depth. You know, they lost Lasia Clarendon pretty early in the season as as their backup point guard. And, you know, they were just pretty much a juggernaut consistently throughout the entire season uh, as one of the two, three, four best teams in the league. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's... They were kind of put in a tough spot right from the get-go with the Shania Gumake trade. And I think, you know, some people were kind of sleeping on them a little bit because the previous season they were bringing John Cole Jones off the bench. Enormous luxury. But then, you know, bringing John Cole Jones into the starting lineup, that's a pretty darn good replacement for Shania Gumake. I think we could both agree on that. And, you know, we had the teams like the Las Vegas Aces, the Los Angeles Sparks with their big additions. I don't think many people were really talking about the Sun. I know I, I said they were like second tier and maybe caught a little bit of flack for that. But, I mean, they got the results. They were quietly one of the best teams in the WNBA. But, you know, one thing you wanted to talk about specifically before we really get rolling here in the specifics, they finished runners-up to the Washington Mystics, and they also finished second in the regular season. Were the Sun really the second-best team in the league last year? I'm of the opinion that they were not. I think they were the third best team. I think the Aces were better. You know, I think you and I both thought going into even the semifinals against the Sparks that they would have their hands full and potentially even lose that series. I think I predicted the Sparks to win in four. Obviously, that was uh, an awful prediction, and they really handed it to LA throughout the entirety of the series. But yeah, I do think Las Vegas was a better team. You can just kind of look at it in absolutes and say that Connecticut took Washington to five. Vegas only took Washington to four. But you also have to consider that Elena Deladon missed one of those Connecticut victories as well. So, you know, overall, I, I think Vegas was just a better team. And I think they, they just had more talent on the roster. I agree that I think the Aces were the better team. What I, I need to kind of put myself out there for a second I also predicted the Sparks to beat the Sun, which ended up being wildly incorrect. And then the Sun featured me in their Twitter account, um, which was, you know, it, it's all good fun. It's all, it's all love. But I mean, like, again, you can't argue with the results. And maybe you could say the Sun overachieved. Maybe not. You know, I, I think there's, there's arguments both ways. But let's kind of get into this here. So the Sun offense, I, I said I was a little surprised to see them ranked third in the league because for a lot of the season, I thought the Sun were kind of underachieving on offense, actually, you know, relative to the talent on their roster. What did you see from them offensively that you liked? What did you see that you didn't like? Well, I think it's kind of easy to see it from the perspective that that you were just describing, right? I mean, John Quill Jones, from a, a shooting perspective, was pretty much down all across the board. Courtney Williams didn't have her most efficient season. So you kind of just look at it in those terms, and it's easy to kind of think like, yeah, this team should be a little bit better offensively. And there wasn't too much offensive that they did all that like amazingly, I guess. But you know, the offense is a nice motion-heavy offense, get a lot of off-ball movement, a lot of screening off the ball. They love to run a lot of pick and rolls. And of course, I think what really sort of uh, buoyed them as an offense is their transition. They were second in transition frequency, and Alyssa Thomas was a huge part of that. But I also think that they will be missing a large part of their transition game from last year. 
by losing Courtney Williams and Shakina Strickland. Williams was only kind of average in her own efficiency in terms of transition offense, but she was a very high volume transition player. Her and Alyssa Thomas were, you know, like I mentioned, the engines of their transition game last year, and they were third and fourth respectively in total transition possessions last year. So to have two of the top four transition players, just in terms of frequency on your roster, like you're just going to get out and run and, and they had really great transition players Alyssa Thomas, Courtney Williams, Shakina Strickland among them. And it'll be interesting to see how this new roster uh, is able to adjust there. Right. There's no doubt about it. The Sun were a menace in transition last season. And I think, you know, you could probably agree that that was by design. You know, when I talk about their offense, half court, I believe it was kind of a slog. It was, it was pretty difficult for them. So I think Kurt Miller and his, and his coaches knew that hey, in order for this team to put up acceptable scoring numbers, we need to be able to get out and run. And in that, in, in that case, you know, having Courtney Williams and Shakina Strickland and especially Alyssa Thomas, you know, getting out and pushing the ball at every possible opportunity, that was their identity. And for the most part, it worked. Like, you, it was very difficult to stop the sudden transition last season. But it'll be interesting to see how Dewana Bonner, coming from a, a Phoenix team who maybe did not run uh, so much that they were, you know, the slowest team in the league or, or had the most, you know, half-court possessions in the league last year, how Bonner in January kind of adapts to that tempo. Sure. And, you know, that's, that's obviously going to be the million-dollar question here and what we're going to be spending a lot of our time talking about is Dewana Bonner. You know, she was one of the biggest gets of the offseason for any team, really. The Sun did lose a lot in the offseason, as we alluded to, but... Bonner, you know, she just, she's going to bring a lot for this team. So in transition in the half court, pretty much anywhere, what's, what's the one thing you're really excited to see Dewana Bonner bring to this on? That's a great question. In terms of the one thing, I think she brings an element of scoring in terms of just her ability to create dribble penetration from the perimeter, get to the free throw line, which is something that they really kind of sorely missed last season from a perimeter player. You know, obviously the shot selection can be frustrating at times, but, you know, she's a three-level scorer, will take a lot of threes, take a lot of deep threes. But I just think being able to kind of give it to somebody from the perimeter who can give you a bucket late in the game that doesn't have to be an 18-footer, you know, and I should preface this by saying, I, I think overall there's definitely a good chance that the Sun will be worse offensively over the course of the season. But I think her... Bonner's ability late game to either get right to the rim or get to the free throw line could be something that could really come up big in late game situations for the Sun. Yeah, you took the, you took the words right out of my mouth there. That's the first thing that I thought about when I saw that the Sun acquired Duana Bonner is that, you know, maybe one of the reasons why their half-court offense wasn't up to par or up to, up to my par, you know, it wasn't as good as I thought it would be last season was because they kind of lacked that late shot clock or late game dribble penetration threat. Bonner, she's been doing this forever now. She can get to the free throw line. She is a three-level scorer like you alluded to. And while her shot selection, you know, may it, it could be better, you know, who's can't, right? You know, there, there's no doubt that she's going to be a solid offensive player for them. But can she carry the Sun offense? Well, hopefully she won't be asked to carry the Sun offense. You know, she is coming from a much less egalitarian system in Phoenix. And of course, last year was one of her kind of more down years. But really just in terms of her career numbers, there's kind of a, a very clear line of demarcation for when she has been an efficient offensive player and when she has not been. Uh, the three seasons that Diana Taurasi was not able to play for the majority of the seasons, that's kind of when Dewana Bonner has been sort of overtaxed as an offensive creator and when she didn't really meet her career norms in terms of her efficiency there. So hopefully, you know, she is still probably the Suns' second best, I guess, offensive player, at least in the half court in terms of like getting her own bucket behind John Quill Jones. But I think just the more motion heavy, egalitarian Kurt Miller system will put less of a burden on her. Do you think that's fair or? Absolutely. I think that's fair. Uh, you know, in Phoenix, it was pretty much, you know, every single possession we're, we're putting it through the post, we're getting Brittany Griner the ball or late in the shot clock is either Danny Tarazi or bad shot. I think Duana Bonner is a type of player who can, she can adjust to many sort of different offensive systems just based on her skill set. She's going to be able to play different positions for you. Um, and you're right. Hopefully, you know, with the pace that the Sun want to play at, she won't be asked to take too many shots late in the shot clock. I'm excited to see her play next to Alyssa Thomas because I think they're both maybe a little, I don't want to say underrated, but they've both got aspects to their game as far as shot creation for others. Bonner is, is more of a, I, I would say more of a make a beeline to the hoop and try to get the layup or the foul sort of player. But I think she's going to be a good target for Alyssa Thomas. 
And it's going to make things easier on John Cole Jones as well. I've been having this battle in my head. Like, is Dewana Bonner going to be more of a transition threat in Connecticut? Because it's like I mentioned before, the transition game was not a huge element of what Phoenix wanted to do. You know, they really wanted to kind of slow it down, throw it down to Griner, have Griner either score over her defender easily or force the double and get it out to an open shooter. But Dewana Bonner, she was whatever kind of semblance of a transition offense Phoenix had, Bonner was a huge part of it. You know, she had 28% of all of Phoenix's transition possessions the last two years, which is like kind of diamond to shields, Odyssey Sims level in terms of like the proportion of a team's transition game. So it's at least encouraging in that way when you see those kind of uh, frequency or, or percentages that she might be able to adjust, run a little bit more. You know, of course she is getting older. So it's interesting you say that because that's, that's one thing that I've been thinking about ever since I started watching the WNBA. How does Duana Bonner play so many minutes and so many games with that frame and that, that playing style? It's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's insane to me. Like, she looks like she's all skin and bones, but in reality, she's one of the, really one of the most durable players in the league. You know, I, I, I hope, you know, I hope you're right. I hope that she is, she doesn't fall off a cliff as far as physical production is concerned. If she doesn't, though, I really, really, really like this addition. Yeah, it was one of those things where, when it was announced, I was just overwhelmed with joy. You know, Dewana Bonner has been one of my favorite players in the league since I started watching the WNBA. And she kind of brings this element that Connecticut had sorely been missing just in terms of dribble penetration from the perimeter. A perimeter player who's able to get to the foul line, get all the way to the rim, can at least contribute to positive floor spacing. Hearing that she is bringing her game to Connecticut, you know, I was thinking instant title contender as long as one of Strickland or Williams comes back. And then of course the rest of the off season ensued. And, you know, now I'm, I'm a little more tepid kind of about their outlook and, and we can get into it a little bit later on whether bringing in Duana Bonner and kind of blowing up the core was, was worth it overall. But I mean, she was one of the best in terms of free agents that were realistically going to leave their team. She was, you know, one of the two or three best out there. Yeah, as you said, uh, it would have been nice if they could have kept one of Courtney Williams or Shakina Strickland. Unfortunately for the Sun, they could keep neither of them. Both are in Atlanta now. Courtney Williams by sign and trade and Shakina Strickland just by signing a free agent contract. Um, we talked a, a lot about them in, in our Atlanta overview, but from the Sun's perspective, what are they losing in Courtney Williams and Shakina Strickland? In terms of what they're subbing out and what they're gaining you know, it's an offensive step down to be sure. They're losing a lot of self-shot creation in Courtney Williams. I also think they might be losing their best, you know, pick and roll player from the perimeter. Courtney Williams, a little bit more dynamic there than Jasmine Thomas, a little bit better of a passer in the pick and roll than Dewana Bonner, who who can score for herself pretty efficiently there. But with Shakina Strickland there, I guess the hope is Bonner will, her offense can kind of replace some of what Courtney Williams is giving you in terms of an on-ball player will stretch the floor a little bit more. But you know, they didn't really bring in an off-ball floor spacer to the caliber of Shakina Strickland. And I think that's going to be sorely missed just in terms of the team's system with a lot of ball and body movement and just the gravity that she provides as a shooter. Yeah, I know Sun fans are going to be missing their Shakina Strickland three-pointers, especially in transition, which we went over. She was one of the best transition players in the league simply because, you know, she would run to the corner and these players, these elite transition players like Courtney Williams and Alyssa Thomas would get her these wide-open three-point looks. You know, the Sun did address maybe kind of balance this out with some other acquisitions. I'm not sure if they would um, really offset it completely, but let's talk Bri on January for a second, because that's a player they acquired from Phoenix veteran point guard. You know, she didn't really have that big of an offensive role in Phoenix. I don't feel like she was pretty much just a spot up shooter and like a game manager type when she was in the game. Do you think she has anything left in the tank to give to this Connecticut team? Well, I think she's going to have to if Connecticut has any chance of you know being a serious contender. I think she's going to have to continue to play defense at a high level. Maybe took uh, a small step back last year, but you know still a above average defender at either guard position. Her Phoenix career, those two seasons, you know she's been kind of shooting the three at, at a higher volume than she really ever did previously. I don't know what she kind of still has as like an off the dribble threat. A lot of her dribble game has turned into settling for long twos, but you know she still has some some good passes. I think she does bring an element of passing to this team that, that they will need after uh, losing Courtney Williams, who, of course, you know, it's not like she's Courtney Vandersloot out there, but she can at least, you know, dime people up occasionally and, and is a willing passer at times. So I think Brianne January, just in terms of her passing instincts, her three-point shooting, 
and of course the the defense on the perimeter you kind of wanted to get a little bit more as a Sun fan in, in the inevitable Courtney Williams sign and trade but Brian January is a fine consolation prize just in terms of being able to salvage something for a player who, who didn't want to be here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Brianne January, she does still have something to offer to a contending team, a championship-level team. Uh, whether the Sun will be that this season, uh, we still have to see that. But, you know, January, she's the type of player, in my opinion, at this point in her career, where she's going to kind of need to be that off-the-ball threat and maybe game manager type. I do not see her, her having a huge offensive role. But like you said, if, if she can just move without the basketball, play some defense. I, I'm one thing I'm really excited to see is a potential January Jasmine Thomas backcourt because the defensive energy of that pairing will just be off the charts. But yeah, you know, January she, she's not a pick and roll threat. Honestly, if she ever was, you know, she's you look at her shooting percentages and her two point shooting percentage has never been that great. I mean, she she used to be able to get to the rim and try these really wild and acrobatic finishes, but just didn't really make that many of them. But now at this point in her career, I think she's just going to be a system player. But as a vet and a really good spot up three-point shooter, I think you could do a lot worse. Yeah, for sure. And you want her, as you're saying, to be like a tertiary playmaker at most, not someone who you want to put the ball in her hands in big moments, of course. But, you know, I think she can be out there late in games and definitely, you know, will serve as a, a capable backup point guard you know, I would like to see her as a starter, but also, you know, running the second unit as well when Jasmine Thomas is off the floor. So overall, she's limited offensively. The backcourt combination of, of Thomas and January, if they do end up starting or playing together, is in a limited offensive pairing, but she's a good player and she will continue to be a, a solid contributor to be sure. And, you know, then there are other, I don't want to say major, but significant offseason acquisition was guard forward Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis. And the one thing you think about when you think Mosqueda-Lewis is the three-point shot. You know, she is a three-point specialist, but she should, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what, what role she's going to fill for this Connecticut Sun team. Yeah, I don't think she quite brings with her Shakina Strickland type gravity, but you know, this reserve lineup desperately needed somebody with Kalina Mosqueda Lewis's skill set. I do think she is an upgrade over Rachel Banham in terms of like the shooting. You know, I think she could maybe stand to reduce some of those long twos. Obviously, is not a great defender you know, never really gets to the rim at all. But she does take a lot of kind of like shorter range, mid-range twos. And I actually like those shots for her because she, she, at least in Seattle, has generally kind of been able to get those shots by sort of just freeing herself from her defender, whether it be like a back door or something like that. So those are a pretty good shot for her and she hits them at a pretty good clip. So she could stand to reduce the very long twos, the foot on the line coming off her curl twos. But she will, it'll be interesting to see how Kurt Miller, how patient Kurt Miller is with Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis's defense. That is something that I'm interested in because, you know, Mosqueda-Lewis, she never really lived up to her, her expectations. Um, she had a terrific college career at UConn, but, you know, as a lottery pick a few years ago in the draft, she never really lived up to being much more than a three-point specialist. Um, but it sounds like, it sounds to me like you're pretty high in her ability to move without the basketball and maybe fit into this motion-heavy offense. I don't even know if I'm super high on her ability to do it, but I mean, she's going to have to because nobody else really on the sun other than maybe John Quill Jones can hit a three coming off a screen, really. So I am skeptical, really, on, on how effective she's going to be, but her shooting percentages over her career are, are good. Her shot profile, just in terms of like the types of threes that she takes are, I guess, a little encouraging, but you know, she's going to be a, a backup guard that probably is maybe the eighth or ninth player on this roster I think there are other bench players that will play more than her so okay so a little earlier you said you're interested to see how patient Kurt Miller is with Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis's defense we know one player he likes defensively and that's Bria Holmes uh, I believe he said that she is now penciled in as he's starting two guard and Stephen you have some opinions on this I do have some opinions and I, I kind of have a lot to say here so okay. if you don't mind I kind of want to throw it back to you first so what do you oh. think of Bria Holmes as First of all, just her overall impact as a defender, and what do you think of her fit as a starter? Uh, you know, I don't think she's a starter on a championship-level team, and that's because her outside shot is just not there. Teams are going to ignore her. You know, they're going to ignore her if she hits one three-pointer. They're going to ignore her if she, if she hits five three-pointers. That's just the way it goes. I don't think you can afford, at least in the half-court offense, you know, obviously the Sun are still going to look to push the ball to help negate this. But if you're starting John Cole Jones and Alyssa Thomas, I don't know how good of a fit Brio Holmes is just because of that lack of an outside shot. 
you know, maybe she's, she's a pretty good defender, but I don't think she's at that elite level where you can say her defense is, is, out, is outweighing her negative impact on this offense. I don't know if you would agree with that, but I think I would, I think I would rather see Brienne January start at the two because you would at least have some outside shooting and maybe a little bit more of playmaking as well. I just don't see where offensively Bria Holmes fits in with the rest of the starting group. Yeah, I think it's going to be a tough fit offensively, to be sure, particularly in the lineups that Bria Holmes and Alyssa Thomas are on the floor together, which of course is going to be uh, a lot of minutes uh, if they're both starting. But just in terms of defensively, you know, obviously January is a, a better offensive player, or at least a better fit, if, if nothing else, because of her ability to space the floor. But defensively, do you think Holmes is an upgrade over January? Or is she just longer? Well, Holmes is longer and she's more athletic, right? I think she can, uh, this is something we're going to talk about later as well, but I think defensively, you know, the Sun, they want to be able to ignite their transition game and making plays on defense. Maybe January is, is still like a defensive playmaker, but she doesn't bring the length or the height or the switchability. You know, I, I think, you know, one of, one, of the favorite, one of the big favorites that people like to see is Brienne January when she gets switched onto a post player because, because she just brings that ninja mentality and it just fights and battles. But I, I think Brie Holmes is maybe a little bit more of a more versatile defender uh, and probably better for their transition game. But again, man, I, I don't know if it's enough to offset that, that offensive hit they're going to take. What do you think about that? Yeah, Holmes definitely adds size to the starting lineup, definitely adds some versatility, the ability to kind of switch a little bit more, maybe one through four, depending on the matchup. But, you know, you touched on a lot of it, right? Not a respected floor spacer. You know, I think she could make 100 in a row and still wouldn't get guarded out there. She's very easy to sag off, particularly when she's sort of towards the break on the three-point line. You know, it does give her a good opportunity to kind of catch and attack with the right hand, which, you know, she is good at and and can definitely finish on those. But uh, she just presents a lot of help opportunities for the defense. And, you know, there was a stretch last year where Kurt Miller kind of tried starting Brie Holmes without really trying it. There was about a five-game stretch in the middle of the season where Holmes was playing more minutes than Shakina Strickland. Uh, and it didn't go well. You know, the Sun went 0-5 in that stretch. Kind of a lot of noise that, that went in there. It kind of coincided with Courtney Williams' worst shooting, shooting stretch of the season. But, you know, a lot of it was ugly when, when Holmes is on the floor but there are some some kind of differences this year. You know, Holmes will be starting at the two instead of the three. You know, I think even with the size difference, I think January is probably a better defender than Holmes. Uh, I think Holmes can get lost a little bit in team defense. Obviously, January is a much better shooter, a much better floor spacer, a better passer, just kind of better feel overall offensively. You know, I think Holmes kind of lacks a little bit of feel as an offensive player. If she's the ball handler, you know, she'll kind of run towards the screen before it's really there, which is either going to cause a moving screen to get called or just kind of null the screen entirely because it's not causing any separation from the defender. She doesn't really have any discernible passing instincts. You definitely mentioned, you know, she's an athletic upgrade over Brian January at this stage of each of their careers, which is great. And, you know, I think Holmes will contribute positively to their transition game, but I'm not sure... Actually, I think it won't offset the negative impact that Holmes will bring to their half-court offense Uh, particularly in those starting minutes where it will be a little bit tighter of a floor with Alyssa Thomas, with Jasmine Thomas and Dewana Bonner, who are capable three-point shooters, but they're not dead-eye, super gravitational outside presences. Right. You know, there's there's another player in the starting lineup that will not change, and that's John Cole Jones. Uh, She really reestablished herself, given the opportunity to move back in the starting lineup last season. Would you consider, one thing I kind of want to ask you here, would you consider her to be a top-tier center in the league? Because there are a lot of really good centers in this league with Liz Cambage and Sylvia Fowles and Brittany Griner. What does JJ do as well as them? What does she do better? Where can she still improve? Because she's still young, and I think she's one of the Suns' biggest matchup problems. But I feel like there's just some areas in which she can still improve even more. What do you think? Just in terms of her standing in the league, amongst the other great players. I almost think she's in a tier by herself, right? I don't think she's quite Brittany Griner, Liz Cambage, Sylvia Fowles tier, but I think she is noticeably better than, you know, what I would consider the next tier down, Neka Gwumakei, Natasha Howard, specifically those two. Mm-hmm. So I think she's she's almost kind of in a tier by herself between those players. You know, she is certainly, you know, a top 10 player in my opinion. In terms of kind of her her strengths and weaknesses in comparison to those 
premier centers, I don't think she's quite as effective as, say, Liz Cambage and Brittany Griner and just like getting you a bucket by throwing it down to her. You know, it, it's late clock. I need a bucket here. I'm just going to throw it to my superstar center in the post. You know, she's not quite that center. She does definitely have a more versatile offensive game, being able to, you know, hit some turnaround jumpers. She's a a quality three-point shooter, even if the numbers were down a little bit last year. You know, a very positive presence on the offensive glass uh, with her uh, amazing wingspan and just kind of her, her great hands. And of course, defensively, you know, she isn't the most versatile defender just in terms of being able to switch, but none of these centers really are, you know, unless you're Nekogumike, Natasha Howard, that top tier of center isn't really going to kind of lock down perimeter defenders, but she's about as good defending the rim as any of them, you know, led the league in block percentage last year. So I think just in terms of the way I would like to see JJ impact the game, it would just kind of be less throw it down to the big and watch her dominate from the post because I I don't quite think she's on that level there, but she can affect the, the game, I think, and kind of more ways than those other players, even if her overall impact is maybe just slightly less. That's a good point. You know, I think JJ, her, her face-up game is something that might be utilized a little bit more. Um, I feel like sometimes she kind of falls in love with the, the turnaround two-point shot, and while she can make that, I mean, that's just not, this is just not a shot you need, especially in this half-court offense. She's just so skilled, like around the basket and getting to the rim that I think her shot profile can kind of be optimized a little bit. But like I said, she is, she's still improving and she's another very durable player. I mean, she hasn't, this is interesting. I'm just looking this up now. She has yet to miss a game in her WNBA career. So, but yeah, I think she has room to improve her shooting percentages a little bit. She was down 44.8% total, 30.9% from three, both significantly lower than her career averages. I think that has room to get much better, especially in an offense where, you know, she's maybe taking better shots, being put in more of a position where she can succeed. And the other thing about her, I, I think she could stand to be a little bit more consistent. You know, for a player like Fowles, like Cambage, Griner, I'm, we're going to keep bringing up those three names because let's face it, those are the three best centers in the league, in my opinion. You know what you're getting out of them every single night, right? Jonquil, I feel like she still has to add that, that real dominance to her game. Like, we know she has it. She's so long, she's so skilled, she's so talented. But I feel like, you know, there was a stretch last year where she just kind of disappeared a little bit. I need to see her bring that on a nightly basis. What about you? Yeah, and her, you know, along that point, her ceiling is as high as any of those players. Absolutely. But she will, you know, she will just kind of have a a few more uh, either down moments or tendencies to just not impact the game offensively as particularly as much as, you know, Brittany Griner, who you know, you and I have talked about offline, just it doesn't really matter kind of what defense Brittany Griner is seeing, she's going to impact the game offensively. And, you know, I, I would like to see JJ just kind of be a little bit more consistent, I, I think. And I think a lot of that comes with how she's used, focusing more on space in the floor, on hitting the offensive glass. And, you know, one thing I didn't mention, I like I really am interested to see how the Duana Bonner, John Quill Jones, like pick and roll plays out. Uh, I think that can be a very useful pairing. I don't think that teams are going to be able to switch that very well. JJ is an effective pick and roll player whether she's rolling to the basket or popping out so that that's a part of her game that I would like to see activated a little bit more uh in the coming seasons and you know you mentioned durability that that's kind of amazing giving her her frame as well uh, I'm surprised to hear that okay so that's something I was not expecting here was John Cole Jones in the pick and roll with Dewana Bonner I'm gonna just lead I'm just gonna use that to kind of jump into my, the, the next point that I wanted to bring up this Sun team or at least this Sun lineup the Sun starting lineup rather is looking super duper versatile. Please elaborate uh, a little bit more because I, I think in some ways they are versatile and I think in other ways they are, you know, kind of limited by their personnel. Okay, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'm sorry. I'll elaborate on that. Um, defensively, they are very versatile, at least for switching. And, you know, you have players like Alyssa Thomas, who Kurt Miller, I believe, called their best defender last year. Duana Bonner is going to be able to pick up a lot of what Alyssa Thomas was taking on last season. And then, like you said, John Quill Jones is quietly becoming one of the, you know, I feel like when you talk about John Paul Jones, you don't really think of a huge defensive impact, but she has quietly become one of the best uh, rim protectors in the league. As you said, maybe offensively, they're kind of, it might be kind of a little bit of a struggle for them, but there are some things in there that teams just aren't going to be able to match up against. How's that? 
Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. And I think I was a little bit more optimistic about what I'm going to say before, you know, the news that Bria Holmes would be starting came out. But I do think that this team, particularly their five best defenders of, you know, Jasmine Thomas, January, Bonner, Alyssa Thomas, and Jonquil Jones, you know, that lineup in particular has elite best defense in the league type potential. So good. You know, there are definitely some some defensive weaknesses throughout the rotation, which, which we can get to a little bit later. But I, I don't think it's crazy to think that this defense could be the best in the league. You know, it might be tough to usurp Vegas just because they have more, you know, roster talent and, and depth defensively, I would say. But I think, you know, when they're at their best, I mean, they're just going to be hard to score against. And as you mentioned, very versatile just in terms of Bonner and Thomas have some uh, switchability. Thomas has guarded perimeter players for, for long stretches. Alyssa Thomas, I'm talking about. Uh, Jasmine Thomas and, and Bria Holmes or Brian January, you know, very kind of switchy can guard depending on the player, you know, one through three there, you know, January is probably a little overmatched for threes, but definitely can guard two positions at least. So I think a lot will be determined by their ability to continue to turn good offense into, I mean, good defense rather into transition offense, you know, because I do think it's going to be a little bit of a slog in the half court for them. Okay, and I'm glad you said that because one thing that I wanted to address here when we're talking about the Sun is the Alyssa Thomas conundrum. You are very, very high on Alyssa Thomas as an overall player. I am as well. But one thing I've always been fascinated by about regarding Alyssa Thomas is that she does so much for you in transition. We talked about you know, last week, we talked about Diamond and Shields being a one-woman wrecking crew in the fast break. Alyssa Thomas, very similar. You know, she gets out and running. You're not stopping her unless you're following her, right? And she creates, she draws in so much, so much of that defensive attention. Then you can kick, kick it out to a three-point specialist on the break. It's just tough to stop. Now, I'm conversely, in the half court, you need to cover for Alyssa Thomas because she is not taking any shots outside of the paint, and that's from the four spot, right? So that kind of creates a, a position of, well, you know, well, do we need, do we start Bria Holmes because you know she's she's not a good fit offensively with with Alyssa Thomas in the half court. Jasmine Thomas maybe not the best fit with Alyssa Thomas in the offensive half, half court either. You might want John Cole Jones taking more three-pointers if she's playing next to Alyssa. What do you make of all that? I mean, it's interesting, right? Alyssa Thomas offensively is almost a point guard or an elite wing in the transition offense. And then once you get to the half court offense, she's more of a center, right? And I, I do think, you know, in the right system, she is a good half court offensive player, you know, limited to be sure, but draws a good amount of fouls, is a very effective roller, you know, does have trouble with, with some length, of course, but you know, you get a smaller player on Alyssa Thomas and she's she's putting her in the goal like every time. She's so incredibly strong. She has a very distinct skill set and, and very distinct limitations. And I don't think there's a better center in the league to pair her with than John Quo Jones with her ability to space the floor. So you know, I think just in terms of sort of roster construction and how Alyssa Thomas can be optimized, the Sun have pretty much kind of lucked out and really did as good a job as possible in terms of putting a center that matches or complements Alyssa Thomas's skill set. But overall, the, the positives uh, far outweigh the negatives, even if things can get a little bit bogged down. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't want to make it seem like it was a it was a it was a trade off there. Like, and Alyssa Thomas, like you said, she's so strong. And she definitely can exploit mismatches against pretty much anybody, to be honest with you. Like she's, uh, and then she can also make plays for others, right? You know, she's not just a She's not just exclusively like a back to the basket player. She's, you know, with the, with the well-documented shoulder injuries, I think it's been very interesting how she's kind of transformed her game from one of a, a small forward who struggles from the outside to like a power forward or center who will not shoot from the outside, but that's okay. Right? Just won't even take them. Right, exactly, exactly. Well, one, one more thing I want to say about Alyssa Thomas as well is, you know, there, I think there are some very distinct matchups where the Thomas JJ pairing can be challenging anytime you're able to put like a true center and Minnesota had a lot of success with this last year anytime you're able to guard JJ with your four if, if JJ isn't able to take advantage of that player and you can just put a Sylvia Fowles on Alyssa Thomas that really bogs things down for Connecticut so it, it is super matchup dependent just in terms of how she can be effective but most matchups in the league I mean we saw in the playoffs you know she was their best player throughout the entirety of the playoffs and, and arguably the best player in the WNBA finals in my opinion especially given her injury history and you know what the Sun were, were playing with you know she I mean, I mean she was playing the entire game yeah, for most of the WNBA finals, for several games, right? She's yeah. not just not just playing the full forty for one game. She's playing the entire game for like most of the WNBA finals, which is 
insane to me. And she was still a one woman wrecking crew. Now you, you talked earlier about, and I think this is kind of what I wanted to, to lead into. Alyssa Thomas is so good in transition and she's really good in defensively as well. The sun they're, they wanted to be a transition offense last year. They're going to want to be a transition offense this year. What do you make of their defense being able to consistently fuel that transition offense? Because in my opinion, if they're not able to really control the pace of the game like that, they're going to have problems. But over and over again, they were just consistently able to control the pace of the game to their favor, you know, against almost anybody. Yeah. So last year they were second in steal rate. They were second in defensive rebounding. Uh, They had the lowest frequency of transition possessions allowed. So, you know, between controlling the rebounds and creating live ball turnovers, as we mentioned, John Quill Jones led the league in block rate as well. So they were able to, you know, turn defense into offense pretty consistently. You know, I do think the new look roster will cause them to take a step back uh, in the rebounding department. You know, Phoenix has long been criticized for for their rebounding issues. I actually don't think Dewana Bonner is too bad of a rebounder for a small forward, but with losing Courtney Williams for Brian January, you know, Courtney Williams, I think is one of the best rebounding guards in the WNBA, particularly going to get out of area rebounds. I, I think that element of their game might be tempered a little bit, you know, but I do expect them to continue to force a lot of turnovers, particularly live ball turnovers, continue to, to have a pretty high steal rate, you know, with Jasmine Thomas, with Alyssa Thomas, uh, you know, John Quill Jones, as we mentioned. We'll see how Bria Holmes is able to kind of affect that element of their game. But, you know, with her getting more minutes, she, she's a player that likes to get out and run as well. So, I mean, I could see it kind of happening Either way, where, you know, these older additions really kind of slow their offense down. But, you know, Alyssa Thomas is still going to want to run. They have players on their bench who are going to want to run as well. So how do you see it playing out for them? In my opinion, it's not just wanting to run, it's having to run. Because I don't think having this team play in the half court is conducive to their personnel. And, you know, Kurt Miller is not just the head coach, he's the GM. So he knows that. He wants to build this roster uh, into a tough, gritty defense first actually let me let me let me let me slow that down for a little bit do you think this is going to be a defensive first team next year oh for sure i think i kind of mentioned it before i expect very good things out of their defense and i am kind of expecting more of a middle of the road you know fifth or sixth type offensive output for them okay and within the top three to be sure in terms of defense that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking at this this roster again, and it's just the switchability, the length, the, the versatility on defense. Anyway, the playmaking, the rebounding, it's, it's all there as far, as far as the defensive oriented team goes. But again, the question for me is just: Can they play well enough in the in the half court, or generate enough transition opportunities? That hasn't been an op- that hasn't been a problem for them in the past. So we'll see if they can do that whenever this this next season is played. So, do you think we'll see a less egalitarian, more kind of star-focused offense from them where Dewana Bonner is soaking up more possessions, John Quill Jones is increasing her offensive workload a little bit more, or, or do you think we'll see more of the same in terms of, you know, everybody kind of being within the same range in terms of their usage? You know, all everyone's pretty much between like 22 and 24% uh, in terms of their starters. And, you know, it feels like everyone is, is touching the ball or, or at least kind of being active, an active part of the offense on most plays. That's a good question. I think it would behoove them to continue that egalitarian approach. You know, we talk about Dewana Bonner being that kind of bailout option, but I don't think she's the player you want to be leaning on too heavily for that, like every time down the court, especially at her age. Um, and it, it, again, you look, at the, you look at the players surrounding her. If, you got, if you're consistently, if the ball is consistently stopping for the sun, that's not good in the half court, right? because you've got these players who can't shoot or the defense is going to stag off of and the paint is going to get clogged and it's just going to cause all sorts of havoc. But I do think maybe John Quill Jones could be featured a little bit more prominently on offense. But the question is, can they surround her with the, with the players who can take advantage of that the most, right? Once again, I'm going to go back to it. If you're starting Bria Holmes and Alyssa Thomas next to John Quill Jones, she might have trouble getting to where she wants to go on the court. Yeah, I, she does have the length and, and off-ball movements to kind of maybe negate some of that. But as far as a half-court offense goes, I don't think it's ideal. So again, they got to get out and run, man. That's the way that the Sun are going to field a competent offense, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think you're right in what you're saying, just kind of in terms of who Dewana Bonner is as a player and how much you want to lean on her as the focal point of your offense. Her ISO ability and her ability to kind of 
get all the way to the rim and leverage foul-seeking behavior and get to the free-throw line and attack hard, I think that's kind of going to serve them better, serve them better in a playoff series, you know, late in a game when things just kind of slow down and like the system buckets are harder to come by, but it's definitely not something where you just kind of want to throw it to Bonner up top, you know, five times in a row and watch her cook because, you know, I was, as we've seen over the, the entirety of her career, when, you know, a, a primary creator like Diana Taurasi is off the floor, you know, she does, her efficiency takes a dip in those situations and she is kind of more of a I don't want to call her a secondary playmaker, but, you know, she's not, you know, throw her the ball and watch her, you know, get a tough bucket every single time type of player. You know, she's just a little bit more kind of offensively limited than that. And I think one concerning thing sort of about her game as she ages is, you know, the the higher proportion of her shots that are coming from 10 feet to the three-point line. She's just settling for mid-rangers a little bit more. Uh, I'm not sure if it's just a fit issue or, or, you know, as she is getting older, uh, athleticism wanes a little bit. So, you know, would like to see her get to the line a little bit more and shoot threes that aren't from Jupiter. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, that's. I'm not sure if that's one thing you're ever going to be able to take away from Dewana Bonner, but one piece of context I would like to provide here is that fouls were down, especially in the first half of the season last year. It, it kind of regressed to the mean in the second half of the season, but like we talk about foul-seeking behavior, that's another instance in which I think the Sun team has room to improve. Like if the refs aren't calling if the refs are calling more fouls, this Sun team is very likely going to benefit from that just because of their physicality and their, uh, I don't want to say potential struggles in the half court, but, you know, players like Alyssa Thomas, Dewan Bonner, John Cole Jones, you you want them to get to the free throw line more, right? They're, they're, they're probably going to be taking more wild shots, finish attempts, if the refs aren't calling these fouls. So, and of course, I don't want to blame this on the referees in particular, but this is a team where I think that more tightly called games are going to benefit them more than maybe some other teams. Would you agree with that? I don't know. I think it kind of goes goes both ways. You know, they are a team that Alyssa Thomas in particular, you know, she is a very physical offensive player and plays a type of game where she expects to end up at the free throw line with a lot of how, how she kind of plays the game. Duana Bonner the same way to a lesser extent or, or to a different extent, I should say. But, you know, Jasmine Thomas and Alyssa Thomas in particular are also very physical defenders. So if it's a tight game, you know, you could see foul trouble pretty quick uh, on their end too. So I actually maybe disagree with you. I think, you know, if refs swallow their whistle, you know, Alyssa Thomas maybe isn't getting to the line as much. John Quill Jones maybe isn't getting to the line as much, but they can kind of do a little bit more of what they want to do on the defensive end. Uh, no, that's, that's very fair. I, I didn't consider that. It does go both ways. You're correct. Um, so want to talk a little bit more maybe about kind of further down the depth chart? Sure, let's do it. Well, I mean, you, you had some, looking at our, at our encyclopedia of notes here, you had some uh, notes about the rotation. We've talked very extensively now about what we think their starting lineup is going to look like, but looking down the depth chart a little bit, you're a fan of Natisha Heidemann. Yeah, you know, you lay out the potential depth chart in our show notes here and have Heidemann highlighted as a potential, you know, fringe roster possible cut. And, you know, I I personally hope she makes this team. I think, you know, she has the best chance other than, you know, either January or Holmes, whichever one of those ends up coming off the bench. She has the best chance to be a positive two-way contributor, you know, a, a positive on offense, a positive on defense than any of these other bench players. Um, so I, I was very surprised to see that you had her uh, kind of as a bubble roster player. So I'm interested to kind of hear your, your thoughts there. You know, okay. I don't think she had a, a great defensive season last year, you know, as a rookie point guard, but, you know, definitely has some defensive tools, good quickness, can move laterally, probably shot a little over her head. I think she was like 46% from three on on super limited possessions to be sure. But her shot, you know, looks pretty good. She's not as sort of like front forward as a lot of like left-handed shooters can be. And I think that will perhaps serve her well in terms of as her jump shot continues to gain in versatility, you know, whether it be coming around screens or just not taking so long to kind of get the shot up or just, uh, you know, not being completely set as she's ready to shoot. So, uh, you know, Natisha Heidemann, I think she does have the upper hand as far as, you know, a, a third string or backup or however this rotation plays out guard, just because of the experience. And she does have the one year under her belt now. And she does, I think, have a little bit of shot creation and athleticism where that still has yet to be unlocked, if you will. The reason I put her as a bubble player, well, twofold. Um, for one, you know, the Sun, they can only carry, according to Richard Cohen, of her hoop stats, they can carry only 11 players. And 
you know, when that comes into play, I think you have to be, you really have to be more careful in your decision-making with a, ro- a roster. And also, I really, really like their third-round pick, Juicy Landrum from Baylor. She was drafted number 35 overall, which in my opinion is a bit of a steal because when we are talking about shooting, um, she's one of the best. Uh, I would call her elite without a doubt. Uh, 1.303 points per possession on spot-up shots as a senior, which was 99th percentile, okay? Like, she is an elite three-point shooter, and that's pretty much like we're talking about, okay, we want to surround you know, these players with, with shooters and people who can knock down a shot. That's Juicy Landrum. So she kind of brings, if Heidemann is the, is the more dynamic player, Landrum is the steady hand. She also had a really good assist turnover ratio of 2.58, which ranked 19th in the nation. Again, shout out to Hoop Stats for that information. Although defensively, I think she's a little bit of a mixed bag. She wasn't very good defending ball screen action, but she was pretty good defending shooters. Now, again, only being able to carry 11 players, it might not be realistic to think that a late third round pick is going to make the team, especially because I feel like, and I don't have a source for this or anything. This is just me making inferences. The Sun do like Natisha Heidemann, you know, considering they re-signed her and everything like that. So I think Heidemann does have the upper hand, but I wouldn't consider her to be a lock just yet. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, for sure. And you, it looks like you do consider Kyla Charles to be a lock. I do. And Kyla Charles, this is a player who I think, heading into her senior season, I had very high expectations for her. I thought she was going to be a first-round draft pick. She was not a first-round draft pick. In fact, she was barely a second-round draft pick. She was taken number 23 overall out of Maryland. She kind of disappointed me last season, mainly because this is a player who is, and you've heard of this type of player thousands of times before, an extremely athletic wing, long, toolsy, great in transition, has the tools to be a good a good defender at the pro level, does not have a three-point shot, okay? She did not develop a three-point shot her senior year at Maryland, which was kind of disappointing to me. I feel like if she at least shot like 30% from out there, she would have gone a little higher in the draft. That didn't happen. Like she would refuse three-point shots. But on the plus side, like I said, she's a very explosive athlete. She's a terrific offensive rebounder for a, a wing player. I'm not sure how much that is going to translate to the WNBA but she gets off the floor really quickly. Um, she can pursue the basketball. And what I like about her, at least pertaining to this fit in the Sun transition game, 30.5% of her possessions as a senior were in transition. Maryland as a team was fourth in the country in transition percentile. So she is no stranger at all to an offense that likes to get out and run. I'm not sure given Kurt Miller's rotation habits how much she's going to play but if she does play, she's going to fit into that. I don't want to say Bria Holmes type role, but she's going to be able to bring many of the same strengths that that type of player, that a Bria Holmes type of player would be able to uh, take. Now she does, of course, need to add that three-point shot. She's about middle of the pack on half-court jumpers and points for possession. But again, you know, I think she's a good fit for at least what the Sun want to do as far as game plans go. Like right, getting on transition, being overly aggressive on defense. If she does play, I'm expecting her to just be like, okay, go try and make plays on defense, be that high-energy player off the bench. Probably not going to play more than eight minutes a game. It, I mean, it depends on, on how much you think, uh, how much leash you think Kurt Miller is going to give Bria Holmes, right? I mean, Kurt Miller has, has shown that he's pretty high on Holmes. And even if he doesn't have Holmes as a starter throughout the entire, entirety of the season, you know, I expect her to at least play the majority of like, the backup wing minutes or, you know, Bria Holmes is going to play a lot. Uh, whether she's starting at shooting guard, whether she's the backup shooting guard slash backup small forward. Uh, I expect her to play more than Mosqueda Lewis. I expect her to play more than Natisha Heideman sure. if, if Heideman makes the team. So, you know, from here, I guess we can talk about their backup center, which um, doesn't look good. I'm not a fan. Um, I know you have some thoughts on on the uh, Teresa Plaisance trade from last season. Although, uh, to be fair, in her defense, she was dealing with a bad back. And, you know, who knows if she would have been able to contribute if she was healthy. But I didn't like the whole process behind that trade. Did you? I mean, no, I didn't. Um, but then again, I didn't think that this was a team that could make the WNBA finals. So uh, I was wrong. Um, they went all in and maybe, you know, when you're that close to a championship, you should go all in. And I kind of misevaluated where they were just in terms of their standing within the league, you know, thinking that they shouldn't give up a promising young player, um, for a 
Teresa Plaisant's type, who at best is going to be giving you eight minutes a game off the bench, um, you know, but, you know, of course didn't end up even doing that due to hopefully it was injury, not just performance, I guess, because, you know, otherwise then it's a real misevaluation of talent on Kurt Miller's part. I'm sorry, what was that? It would not have looked very good, no. Yeah. So, yeah, I expect Plaisance and Bree Jones to both play uh, probably together more than they should. And, you know, I think if Plaisance can really give you any sort of modicum of defense and uh, defense from the center position in particular, then Bree Jones is a little bit more expendable. But I, I think you have two one-way players competing for backup big minutes. And, you know, I expect them both to, to play in the rotation. Okay, so when we talk about Teresa Plaisance, ideally, you know, if she's not dealing with an injury, I think she can bring one thing to this team, and that's another outside shooter at the four or five position. In fact, it, I think she's just a five, to be honest with you. I don't think she has the foot speed to, to play the four. Even but, against bench units? Mm, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bank on it because then – well, here's the other thing about getting Dewana Bonner, though. Like, you can play her at the four against bench units, right? I mean, I would like Kurt Miller to do that. Uh, I'm not sure if he will, but, you know, I, I think this team has maybe more lineup versatility than Miller has shown or propensity to use in the past, you know, just in terms of, you know, being willing to play players to positions. You know, he would do it with Jasmine Thomas a little bit, do it with John Quell a little bit, but everyone else is pretty much slotted into their position and with not a lot of wiggle room there. So, yeah. Well, uh, one... One thing that uh, I I did not like about the Sun last year was their bench. Um, I thought their bench was was not really. I felt like the starters had to come in for the bench too often. Like the bench wasn't holding on to leads. It just wasn't giving them that much as far as depth is concerned. Like again, they're all going to carry eleven people, but Dewana Bonner is going to add some of that two position versatility there. I would like to see her play some four offensively. I think she's a good fit at the four defensively. Eh, probably not against you know some of the, the bulkier players, but against bench lineups, I would like to see a lineup with Bonner at the four and Plaisance at the five. I think you could do some things there. You know, of course, Plaisance isn't going to be a heavy minute player. She's never been that in her career, but I think she does bring that one skill in the outside shot. She's at least an okay three point shooter, and for a team with people like that on the perimeter, like Bria Holmes and. Kyla Charles, those athletes who are looking to get to the rim, that, that's an important thing to have on the roster, in my opinion. Now, you said Bree Jones. Bree Jones is um, a frustrating player. Uh, you know, I do think she, she brings certain elements uh, to the game that would serve more advantageous than to what Teresa Plaisance brings, especially if you are just going to kind of lean in with focusing on being like a defense first team. She's obviously a better defensive player than Plaisance, a much better post defender, a better rim protector, you know, not by much, but, you know, she's a plus offensive rebounder to be sure, but just kind of a, a drag offensively for your team. She doesn't have very good hands. She's extremely turnover prone. You know, she gets her shot blocked about as much as anybody in the league on a per play basis, super limited athletically, both vertically and horizontally, you know, can't defend in space at all. You know, I do think she's going to play as a backup center. I don't think Plaisance is just going to give you enough defensively at the five in particular, you know, I expect, you know, hopefully Plaisance and Jones will not play together large minutes. You know, maybe they'll play John Quell at or Bonner at the four when, when Bree Jones is in, I mean, I don't even know kind of what to do with this backup big rotation because, you know, like I alluded to before, it's two extremely one way players Mm -hmm. vying for these minutes and neither one of them, provide you with much versatility. You know, you can't really play Alyssa Thomas with Bree Jones because, you know, you just aren't going to be able to, no one's going to be able to get to the rim. You're not going to be able to space the floor at all. So, so it's so tough. Go ahead. Are, are we in for another uh, massive minutes load for Alyssa Thomas then? You know, my pipe dream that's never going to happen is to see some minutes with Bonner at the four and Alyssa Thomas at the five against some bench units when John Quell isn't in the game. But Okay. Uh, Kurt Miller's never going to do that, but I would like to see it. It would be fun if nothing else, give you a little bit more switchability. Okay. So, you know, my apologies to our listeners, if we, if we're coming off kind of harsh on the sun, because it it does feel like we're kind of getting to nitpicking at this point. They're, they're again, going to have a heck of a starting lineup. They're going to be a pretty darn good team. Just how good? Well, that's what we're going to talk about right now. Where do the sun kind of rank? Yeah. I'd like you to go first since, um, me first. Yeah, if you don't mind. Okay, no, absolutely not. I don't mind. 
Well, you know, last year going into the, let me, let me, I'm going to kind of struggle through this here. Uh, going into the season last year, I said they'd still rank top four after losing Shanae Gumake because like, again, John Cole Jones is a pretty good replacement, I would say. Although I did not see them getting as far as they did. I think the Sparks and the Aces are a better team, just given, you know, the talent, a total amount of talents. And then Seattle and Washington may be ahead of them as well. I'm going to say, I'm going to say sixth place at worst. Sure. I think that's, that's that fair? fair. I mean, do you think this team has championship upside or, or did the other teams around them improve too much? Well, the thing about that is like in a 12 team league, like you, whenever you're asking a question like that, it's a small league. You got to look at what everyone else did. I think the opportunity is still there. I think it's still there because like, you know, Washington, and once again, we're going to get to this when we get to it, but um, might have some conflicting opinions on whether or not Washington actually got better. Conflicting uh, to popular opinion, not conflicting. Right, to each right. Other. Um, uh, spoiler alert, I think they got a little worse, but again, we're going to get to that. Um, but then Seattle, they get some some good players back. Will they be healthy? I don't know. Will the Aces be you know Will the Aces be able to integrate Angel McCautry well enough? Will the Sparks be able to overcome Derek Fisher? I don't know. Um, half joking there. I think the Sun are still in that second tier. To be honest with you, uh, apologies to Sun fans if you if you take offense to that. I don't mean that in an offensive manner. If some things, let's let's be honest. A lot of things went right for the Sun last year. Right, you said at the start of the show they kind of overachieved a little bit. I think the possibility is still there for that to happen again, um, but it's and it's, let's not forget their starting lineup played every single game last year. Yes, yes, like they're extremely durable, but at the same time, like so, if I don't know if if there's one injury, can the, can the Sun afford to you know lose a, a player? You know, knock on wood. Of course, we don't want that to happen. Do they have the depth to sustain such an injury? That would be what my main concern. But I, as of now, I would say top six is is fair as an as an objective party. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I I think they are also a second tier team. You know, I think Los Angeles, Vegas, they got better. The Sparks by adding a great player. Vegas by adding perhaps a, a legendary player who hopefully still has something to give, but also would expect some internal Im- improvement by uh, Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plum, am- among others. You know, Seattle. They improved just by Brianna Stewart, the MVP last time she was healthy, uh, getting better. Hopefully, Superd will be able to give them something still. So, you know, Washington, I think, got worse. But, you know, we talked the last two weeks about a team, two teams that I consider to be solid playoff teams, but a title would surprise me in Atlanta and Chicago. I think Connecticut can win a championship. I think a lot would have to go right, but I do still put them a little bit lower than LA in Vegas and in, in the same tier as a couple other teams. Okay. So we agree on that. Now you say some things need to go right. What needs to go right? Well, I think John Quo Jones needs to return to form in terms of her kind of efficiency, you know, needs to, in 2018, she was, you know, a 60% from two, 40% from three player. Maybe that doesn't continue as a, a starter. Uh, you know, she was feasting on some backup units, of course. But I think she does need to just be a little bit more consistent, as we talked about, be in kind of that Griner Cambage Falls neighborhood in terms of just being a, a top six-ish player in the league. You know, I think Bonner needs to be 2018 WNBA semifinals Dewana Bonner and not 2019 regular season Dewana Bonner. She's not playing alongside Diana Taurasi anymore. So are we getting the same Bonner that we got those three seasons in Phoenix when Taurasi wasn't there? Or can she kind of return to form a little bit? get back her efficiency. You know, I think Jasmine Thomas, a player who somehow we barely talked about at all, even though yeah. she's maybe, you know, their most, the sun most consistent player on, on both ends of the floor. You know, she needs to kind of continue what she's done the past few years, getting better seemingly every year offensively while still being a first team defense caliber player. So they, they are kind of getting older. They, they got their starting lineup or, or top six, I should say in particular, got a lot older, added a couple of players on the wrong side of 30. So you know, Brianne January definitely has to show that she still has something left in her bag in terms of being able to, you know, run a second unit and hit open three-point shots. So overall, you know, I think they have to be in elite defense and give you enough offensively from John Quell and Bonner in particular, and then the role players, you know, making open shots, playing their their more secondary and tertiary roles there. So, you know, all things considered, you know, they, they brought in Dewana Bonner, I'm sure expected to be able to keep one of Courtney Williams or Shakina Strickland. 
mm-hmm. ended up losing them both. You know, now that all the kind of dust has settled, do you think signing Dewana Bonner was worth it for them? Well, or, w- or would they be better off sort of running it back with the roster they had last year? I don't think running it back would, I, I don't think that would have them any closer to a title than they were this year because we talked about everything, everything that went right for them this, this past season. I don't see them running into that good fortune two years in a row. I mean, it could happen. And Courtney Williams is still a young player who can get better. Dwana Bonner, not so much. I, it depends on, on whether you think this team can win a title still. I think it can. And th- again, this is kind of going into, like, they didn't go into the offseason saying, okay, we're going to get Dewana Bonner, but we're also going to lose Courtney Williams, right? Like, this wasn't the, the plan. I mean, if it was a plan, not a very good plan, but I don't think it was <laughs> Right. So I don't think I can knock them. I don't think I can dock them points for saying for for making that move for taking a shot like that. I thought they had a good offseason. You know, all things considered, like, given the circumstances, we don't want to speculate on what happens behind closed doors or anything like that. That's I don't know about you, but that's not really my my my, my brand. Yeah, that's but for another podcast. But I think, yeah, I think this is the right way to go about it. Because even if, you know, even if Dewana Bonner, you know, regresses, even if Brian January doesn't have much left in the tank, you're still going to have the ability to build around Alyssa Thomas and John Cole Jones in the future, ideally. So it's not like it's not like they're going all in with a bunch of players in their late 30s, you know? Yeah, and I think you really hit on something there. I think this was um, sort of the upside play. You know, I think there's a chance that they just, as a basketball team, regardless of the teams that got better around them, you know, just in a vacuum, there's a chance that they're not a better team than they were last year. But as you were saying, the rest of the league around them got better. So I I don't think their roster, as it would have been constructed had they brought everyone back, would have been the second or third best team in the league anymore. So even with the chance that that things go worse than they did last year, taking a swing, bringing in Dewana Bonner, going for a more upside play in in hopes that it brings you closer to a championship, I, I do think it was worth it you know, rather than kind of running it back with the team where the rest of the league around you got better and you didn't really do anything and you're just hoping that sort of chemistry buoys you above some more talented teams around the league. Okay, so uh, before we wrap things up, we have a, a new feature this week, all right? We got a mailbag. So I asked uh, the Twitter sphere for some questions about what they'd like us to talk about and we are men of the people, so we're going to get to that. One, one, one question that I thought was very interesting that sent in by Cameron, Cameron K 34 she wants to know, hey, uh, planning on listening to the podcast. Well, thank you. One thing I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on would be how you think the Suns and Mystics rematch would have went this season. This year's Suns squad might have been able to come together and strategize a game plan to take down the Mystics, especially with Tolliver being gone. Of course, Christy Tolliver no longer with the Washington Mystics. Okay, Cameron, um, very good question. Very fun hypothetical. Uh, obviously, with no basketball being played right now, we love hypotheticals. Uh, Steven, what do you think? If the finals were played again between the current Mystics squad and the current Sun squad, how does it play out? Well, I think that the Sun would have a better chance of coming out on top. You know, I think Dewana Bonner athletically and with her length gives Connecticut a better option on Elena Deladon than they had previously. You know, I think I think Tina Charles would be a great asset for the sun in terms of slowing down the mystics (laughs) offense uh you know christy tolliver you know we were kind of talking a little bit off pod and and i think christy tolliver maybe played an underrated role in in how well mystics were able to perform last year you know jasmine thomas for my money is you know the premier defensive point guard in the wnba and and there were moments where you know she just couldn't do anything with tolliver her her handle her ability to hit step backs and, and just kind of launch off the dribble and you know with that fear in your mind kind of having to play a little bit tighter she can blow by so you know I think I don't know if Connecticut would would win necessarily of course they were missing Courtney Williams who had some some big games but I definitely would like their chances more now with these two current iterations than than you know the last time we saw WNBA basketball I agree 100% and this is something where you kind of have to separate what the result from you know the process going into it like we said at the start of the show, the Sun were 10 minutes from a championship. That's pre- heading into that, season, uh, that series, rather, in my opinion, that was pretty improbable, especially given, you know, they're playing, they're playing their starting lineup so heavily. But yeah, I mean, I think this, this current Mystics roster and this current Sun roster, I think the Sun match up more favorably just because 
like, I don't think the Mystics would be able to space the floor quite as well with, with Tina Charles assumedly soaking up a lot of minutes out there. I don't know, does Emma Mieseman, does her usage take a hit? Is, does Latoya Sanders play as much? You know, are the Mystics as good defensively? I don't think they are. Um, off right. Are, are you able to, you know, are you playing Latoya Sanders enough minutes to have her guard Jasmine Thomas for long right. stretches at the start of the second and fourth quarters of these games? You know, like that was kind of a, a big part of what slowed down particular Sun lineups. Right, exactly. And you know, I don't think the Mystics have the depth that they did last season. Of course, you know, Kiara Leslie coming in, she's a complete unknown. Can Tiana Hawkins repeat her, her excellent shooting from last season? It does Maisha Hines Allen, can she be a rotation player? There, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this, but I do think that the Sun would stand a better chance against the Mystics given these two rosters. And one other thing I'll say just before we kind of sign off on the question is Shatori Walker-Kimbrough brought an element of athleticism that I'm not sure the Mystics bench have kind of with their, their current iteration as well from the backcourt. Yeah, that's that, that's interesting because um, Shatori is a player who I think, I don't want to say she's had some bad luck, but she's a better shooter than what she's shown in her three season, seasons in the WNBA. That sounds kind of silly because you know, if you figure three seasons, oh, that's a big enough sample size, but she was it's a much, much better shooter than, than she's shown. And she does have that, that athleticism. So I don't know if the Mystics have the depth that they did last year because last year they had – they're just bringing shooters from everywhere. It was ridiculous. Like there's, I'm surprised that the sun made, made it that much of a series. I don't know about you. Yeah, for sure. You know, we touched on a little bit before, but they kind of got a freebie with the one that Deladon missed and and were able to kind of squeak out one more Mm -hmm. uh, game four in Connecticut, but Hey, they were 10 minutes away from a championship. And, you know, to answer the question, I do think that, you know, if they wouldn't win a five game series, they'd certainly be a lot better suited to. All right. So there you go. Thank you so much, Cameron, for submitting the question. As always, if anybody else listening has other questions, feel free to submit it to us at E at Trinkwald. Please be sure to check us out on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, folks.